Okay, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and this is our final day in London. We've been here for 14 days, and over the last two weeks, we have covered many towns and cities around the south of London. It's been a great opportunity to preach the gospel, to speak to people, to plant seeds, and to also reinforce our faith in our Saviour. Yesterday was a great day. We went to Speaker's Corner in the heart of London, and every Sunday afternoon, many people gather at Speaker's Corner. Christians, politicians, New Agers, Muslims, atheists, and so forth. And uh, it was a great opportunity for us to all go along and uh, get the banner up and speak to many people. Uh, a few people that come to mind was an ex-Christian turned atheist. And I said to him, according to First John chapter 2, You were never saved to begin with. You were never a Christian because you went out from the apostles you didn't remain with the apostles you apostatized and he didn't particularly care for me saying that but it's true and i spent some time speaking to him then a muslim came over and uh, tried to tie me up over the jonah and the fish account back in the old testament trying to insinuate that jonah didn't die that somehow jonah was sleeping in the great fish and therefore jesus christ was sleeping in the tomb i spent some time trying to deal that particular argument from there, an atheist came along and put his case forward about why he believes there's no God, and I was able to speak to him as well. But I'll say this, that my observation from yesterday is that many Muslims were actually quoting the scriptures. One chap almost quoted word for word, Matthew chapter 12, concerning Jonah and the fish. But of course, we know that the devil quotes the scripture. So to quote it proves nothing. Do you believe it? That is the question. But I will say this, that if you are a saved person, if you are wanting to do street work... If you find yourself going to a place like Speaker's Corner, just be prepared for such people because they are seasonal debaters. They go to such places week in, week out, and some of them are pretty good. And if you're not well-read in the Bible, if you don't know the scriptures, they might tie you up. Um, So beware of that. Also, I will say this, that what I did think was somewhat disappointing yesterday were the lack of so-called Christian scholars. We saw one well-known Christian celebrity up on some steps, preaching about Islam, and very good too. In fact, I should name him. His name is Jay Smith, an American who lives in the UK, and I caught some of his preaching. And he had a lady next to him who was, I guess, his sidekick, if I can use that expression. And she was asking him questions, and he was asking her questions. And I thought, maybe she's his wife. I don't know. But I'll say this, that I don't think preaching on a uh, set of steps for a woman is somewhat comely. I think it's better for the men to do it. But the truth of the matter is this, that if you are in a system, if you are cruising along on a five or six figure salary, you won't go to a place as such, a speaker's corner, where the real people are. You won't press the flesh. You won't put a defense of the scripture up. And that's a great shame because some great men have gone to speaker's corner over the last 100 years. So we were somewhat happy to have made the effort yesterday for our final full day as a ministry. And during our two hours there, we gave out Around 100 tracks, which isn't particularly many, but please understand this, that Speaker's Corner isn't a place to pass out tracks, really. It's a place to talk, debate, and argue. So, considering that, we did pretty well. Two hours we were there, the banner went up, many people were spoken to, like I say, and it was an interesting experience. Would I go again? Yes, quite possibly. And if I went again, I would be more prepared, because I wasn't sure what to expect. I've heard about Speaker's Corner over the years, but uh, until you've actually been there, and experience the environment you have no idea what it's really all about so a blessing an experience and at the same time 
somewhat disappointing that there weren't more Christian pastors that uh, make their living off the gospel there. It fell to people like ourselves to go along and uh, put our case forward to represent our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But like I say, this will be our final day here. We go home today and it's been a great opportunity. We estimate that around 15,000 tracts have been given out. We've been able to post out several parcels to Taiwan, Australia, America and the UK. And I am confident that over the next few weeks more people will be requesting some of our new tracks. And therefore we are more than happy to post them up and post them out. Uh, or pack them up and post them out. We leave London in high spirits. We leave London very much happy about our time here. And I will say this, that wherever you are in the world listening to this message, whether on the radio or on the internet, if you want to do something for the Lord, do something for the Lord. You are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you're a woman, leave tracks on the bus, on the train, maybe in a supermarket. If you're a brother, get a sign perhaps, or just go around the streets passing out tracks to people. Do something for the Lord. Maybe start letterboxing your own neighbourhood. There's always something we can do. But uh, the reason why we have been doing this for the last two weeks is because we are saved. We are Bible believers. We make no apologies for that. And we believe every word in the scripture. We believe that heaven is eternal. And we believe that hell is eternal as well. And that's why we go into the streets. And that's why we, on many occasions, face down scoffers and mockers and atheists. And yes, I'm aware that most of the crowd from Speaker's Corner yesterday were not there to hear the truth. They were there to debate what the truth actually is. I understand that. But I will say this, that many people are walking by listening, just listening, just soaking up the atmosphere. And it may be that for some of those people, they got a blessing. They heard something yesterday. In fact, I spoke to a Catholic from uh, Poland and I asked him, uh, his name was Greg. I said, Greg, what would you do? Or how would you explain to me the gospel? If I had 20 seconds to live, what would you say to me? And he said, Jesus, please save me. And I said to him, absolutely correct. Jesus saved me. So I said to him, if that's the case, why do you need Catholicism? Why do you need religion? You've just answered my own question. Jesus saved me and he will save you. So why go through all the rigmarole of organized religion? And he started to argue about the sacraments and this and that. And I said to him, well, look at the thief on the cross. He just believed. There were no works involved. There was no get down from the cross, Mr. Thief, and get baptized and join the local church and start tithing. He simply believed. And this Paul, this Catholic, knew exactly what I was saying. And I asked him about Mary, and we discussed Mary very briefly. And uh, I said to him, Mary was a good woman, but that's all. He said, no, she was immaculately consumed. I said, no, she was not. Her own words from Luke chapter 1 told us how she rejoiced in God her Savior. And he said to me, can you show me that from the Bible? And this is where you've got to be quick on your feet. And I said, yes, okay. So I got my Bible open. And by that time, I had about six people standing around me, looking very carefully, observing, hoping I would fall flat on my face. He was rubbing his hands with glee, saying, there you are, you see, the Bible doesn't show that. And, uh, you know, you think quick on your feet, as I say, and get my Bible open. And I made the mistake of thinking it was Luke chapter 2, when in fact it was Luke chapter 1. And I was rummaging through the scripture trying to find it. And I got people breathing on me, people standing around me. The pressure's on, you understand. And... For some reason, my mind went blank for about maybe 30 seconds, perhaps even a minute. And eventually I got to Luke chapter 1, showed him the scripture, read it to him. And the two Muslims to my right that were somewhat, oddly enough, agreeing with me. And I thought, well, I'll come to you guys in a minute. Don't be so quick to put this man down. You're also following a sinful man called Muhammad. And I said to this Catholic from Poland, there you are, my friend. I rejoice in God, my saviour. 
And I said to this chap from Poland, your own Bible says the same thing as well. It's not just my Bible, it's your Bible as well. And he couldn't really deal with that. And he started to mess around with the word saviour. And I said to him, no, a saviour is a saviour. She was born to give birth to her own saviour. She's a good woman, she's a saved woman, but she was a sinner just like you and I. And he looked somewhat uncomfortable. And to be fair to him, he had myself breathing down his throat. He had two Muslims that were chipping in, not in an aggressive way, but chipping in nevertheless. And some other people just observing our altercation, our conversation. Well, with that, he turned around and walked off. And then I was able to speak to these Muslims about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he died for the sins of the world and how grace is grace. And they were very self-righteous, as most people are trying to suggest that we're not saved by grace, that we're saved by works, which is what all of the heretics teach and false religions. And I said to these uh, these two guys, if we are saved by works, then God would, would owe you salvation. He would owe you salvation. And he doesn't owe you anything. In fact, if, if you got what you deserved, you'd get hell. So I don't want the Lord's justice. I want the Lord's mercy. Every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, until I go home to glory. So with that... I was able to speak to some other people. We saw a chap there also who was featured on YouTube, maybe about a year ago. One of our sisters showed us a clip of him preaching on YouTube. A former Muslim who was homeless, who now street preaches in or at uh, Speaker's Corner. And I recognised him straight away yesterday. And I was floating around doing my own outreach. And as we finished, we walked back to get our bus home. And I saw him putting his hands on a boy, no more than 10 years of age. And I thought to myself, he's got one hand on this kid's forehead and the other hand on the back of this kid's head. Where are the kid's parents? Where's a, chi- where's a child's mother? Where's a child's father? And people were standing around looking somewhat bemused. And I thought, what a strange sight to behold. This individual, this former Muslim, says he's a Christian, was laying hands on a young boy. It looked very uncomfortable, very odd. I guess that he thinks he can do healing. Well, I'll say this before we get into second, excuse me, first Timothy chapter 2. I will say this that God can still heal. And I made this uh, point several studies ago that God can and does heal. No one disputes that. But healers, per se, for this dispensation, I don't believe so. And as I made the case over the last weeks and months, Paul the Apostle was almost blind before he died. He couldn't heal himself, and his friends couldn't heal him. Peter, the so-called first Pope of Rome, couldn't heal him. Mary, the so-called Queen of Heaven, couldn't heal him. And two of Paul's closest friends... Timothy and Trophimus were sick. One of them, Trophimus, was sick unto death. And it took the Lord God of the Bible, the Lord God of Israel, to intervene and heal Trophimus. So I don't believe that people can lay hands on folks today and be healed. I don't believe it. I think it's trickery. I think it's ignorance. And I think it's deception. So keep those thoughts in mind, if you will. And hopefully you've enjoyed these studies over the last two weeks. It's been a blessing for me to do them. It's been a great uh, privilege for me to have you all sit around the table listening and making notes and receiving a blessing. There's nothing greater than being saved, believing the Bible, and then sharing the Bible with like-minded people. This book is incredible. And therefore, I was quite humbled to represent Jesus Christ yesterday at Speaker's Corner to defend the King James Bible and to hopefully glorify him and bring people to him. First Timothy chapter 2, take a look, if you will, at verse 1, please. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, 
you were told by the will of the Lord to make prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks for all men. When I say all men, I mean all men from 1 Timothy 2.1. And this piece of scripture gets attacked, gets critiqued, gets flagged up by Calvinists to somehow suggest that Christ didn't die for all men, just certain categories of men. Look at verse 2. The breakdown follows quite clearly for kings and for all that are in authority. It will start with those in authority because the kings and queens and the rulers that be are very much calling the shots. You were told to pray for those in authority. So when it says for kings and for all that are in authority, it means just that. You have to pray for your king, your queen, your president, your prime minister. And for all that are in authority. That would obviously be their prime ministers, their uh, foreign secretaries, their home secretaries, so on and so forth, going right down to local government. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Almighty God doesn't want Christians to be freedom fighters. He doesn't want Christians to go around trying to bring in a revolution, trying to change this world. He wants Christians to be part of society to some extent, to be a great light uh, to those in our society. What do they say? In the world, but not of the world. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That is the permissive will of the Lord, that all men, and when I say all men, I mean all men, may be saved, born again, and to come unto knowledge of the truth. That's why we've been in London for the last two weeks, preaching and trying to reach folks with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes sense, does it not, that if the king gets saved, if the queen gets saved, if the president or prime minister gets saved, that that blessing will trickle down to members of society. Prayers, supplications, giving of thanks are to be made for all men. Then the breakdown follows. Kings have all that to an authority. Why? Well, first of all, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And on top of that, that all men would be saved and come unto knowledge of the truth. And these verses completely dismantle limited atonement. When Christ died on the cross... We are told that he would draw all men unto him. And he did just that. Which means that all men have the potential to be saved. If they would turn to him to be saved. But until they turn to him to be saved. They remain in their sins and on the way to hell. And that was somewhat scoffed at yesterday. In Speaker's Corner. But that's the truth. And this is why many so-called Christian pastors. And uh, Christian celebrities don't go onto the streets. Because they're going to get a pretty... Uh, core response they're going to get people coming at them pretty hard they're going to be shouted down and for such people they are very comfortable in their church systems drawing a six and sometimes seven figure salary look at verse five please for there is one god and one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time one mediator not two the man, Christ Jesus, not Mary, not the Catholic Church. And this is something my friend from Poland couldn't understand yesterday. This is something my Mohammedans, my so-called uh, Islamic friends from yesterday, couldn't understand. They think that they're the mediator between themselves and God. And such people, according to Matthew 22, are going to arrive in eternity wearing their own garments, their own self-righteousness. And the king, picturing Almighty God, responds by saying, how did he come in here wearing that garment, bind him hand and feet, and cast him into outer darkness? 
There's a picture there of contempt. There's a picture there of somebody arriving in eternity bragging about how good they were, how great they are, and how wonderful they were. And God says, your righteousness stinks. It's filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64. But there's my son on my right hand, and his righteousness is sinless. He's the sinless son of God. And yet you rejected him, you scoffed him, you passed him up. And therefore, I can't pardon you. I can't exonerate you. I'm going to have to send you to hell forever. Because I'm holy and you are not holy. But verse 6, one more time. Who gave himself a ransom for all. And when I say all, I mean all without exception. But that doesn't mean that everyone goes to heaven automatically. You were told very clearly back in Second Corinthians chapter 5. To be reconciled to the Lord. Which means this. You have to personally believe on him. You have to trust in him in order to be saved. See, the atonement has been provided. So these verses very clearly point to the fact that Christ has died for the sins of the world. Something which we've been entrusted to explain, to relay back to the world. But what a great scripture to conclude this message from verse 5. For there is one God, not two gods, not three gods, but one God. And one mediator, one middleman between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And if you're saved, you've been entrusted with the great commission to share the gospel with people, whoever they are, wherever they are, to at least be offered the chance to be saved. And sometimes it grieves me when folks come over and tell me to either be quiet or to do things differently or to show more love. And yet I know perfectly well that they are not preaching the gospel. They are not warning sinners to flee from the wrath to come. And it falls to folks like myself to preach the gospel and if someone gets saved in my watch what sometimes happens is such charismatics liberals apostates come along and mop them up join our church now start blabbering in tongues or you're saved but you can lose it and yet those cowards were nowhere to be seen when it came to street preaching those cowards wouldn't have the guts to go to speaker's corner and preach the gospel and face down a wall of hostility so I'm going to wrap these verses up and conclude from 1 Timothy chapter 2, a great scripture to encourage those listening to this broadcast to pray. And as somebody once said, pray until you pray, to have a time to give thanks to the Lord, to pray for those in authority, and also to pray for those that do frontline work, like what we've been doing over the last two weeks. You've got to be sanctified, you've got to be separated and consecrated to go into the streets. It's not easy. I will say this to you, it's not easy at all. Your flesh, if your flesh is like my flesh, is very powerful. And your flesh hates to be shunned, hates to be criticised, hates to be slapped down. And many times your flesh wants to do what it wants to do. And if you're saved, you have to put your flesh in its place. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. Verse 3. Who will have all men and women, boys and girls, to be saved, born again, and to come under the knowledge of the truth. The truth, of course, being Jesus Christ. But how can they hear the truth if no one is sent to preach? How can they hear the truth if nobody preaches the truth? They can't, of course. But I will say this, and one of the questions that came up yesterday at Speaker's Corner is, what about those that have never heard of Christ? How about those that lived before Christ? Where are they now? And I said, well, the book of Romans tells us that they had revelation as we have revelation. They had a conscience as we have a conscience. And therefore they will be judged based on their conscience, based on their light, based on what they know or didn't know. 
God won't punish them for what they didn't know. He'll punish them for what they did know and what they did with the light that he gave them. So there's no way to escape it. If you are living in this world today and are somewhat unchurched or don't have a Bible, never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're still going to be judged. In fact, I'll say this to you, that if I was to close my Bible today, if all the Bibles were to be closed around the world today, if all the Bibles were to be destroyed around the world today, you'd still be judged. You can't get around it. Your conscience points back to a creator. Creation points to a creator. The scripture is simply to inform us of the deeper things of the Lord. But you can be saved without the scripture, and you will be judged as well without the scripture. So these verses are wonderful to read, to meditate upon, to thank the Lord for. And I want to say this one final time before we conclude that it's been wonderful to have all of your fellowship and brethrenship over the past two weeks. It's a blessing to be on the same page with you all and for us all to agree on the main points of the scriptures. Many Christians are divided and that's why it's somewhat fortuitous that we have all come together and on top of the fellowship and the brethrenship and the evangelism, we've had great food and the weather's been pretty decent. So there's no complaints for me whatsoever. And if just a quarter or just a third of those that took our tracks, read them, believe them and turn to Lord Jesus Christ, then for me, that'd be a great blessing indeed. But even those that didn't take the tracks, didn't take a DVD, didn't take the message from our banners seriously, uh, go on to end up in hell, then the Lord is still glorified. Nevertheless, we were told from Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight that whatever we do, it isn't in vain. So I take great delight in what we've been able to achieve over the last two weeks. And I pray the Lord God will bless today's message. I pray he will bless the next several batches of messages which will be going out on the internet and the radio. And I pray he will bless the videos that were shot the photographs that were taken, and above all that, he will bless our gospel presentation, our outreach endeavours to the people of London.